Hello, this is Ben Eshmaid and welcome to the second episode in King's Place's brand new Strong Women, Strong Voices podcast series. In this edition, we speak to composer and robotic artist Sarah Anglis about her much-anticipated debut album Ealing Feeder, which will be launched on the 20th of April in King's Place's Hall 2. Sarah's performance embraces the theatrical, involving a range of instruments and machines, including the early electronic instrument the theremin and those she's constructed, such as a handbag with a beating heart and a set of polyphonic carillon bells. We met with Sarah at King's Place to uncover the layers of London that have inspired her debut release. For you, where does a piece of music come from? From a sound, from an instrument, from somewhere else? Um, I think it varies. I think it's usually a collision of two things. There's usually a narrative that I've spotted, something in a book or um, an old folk song or something or, or just something I've seen out on the street. And then a sort of narrative is usually boiling over and then it doesn't usually go anywhere. And then suddenly it's sort of disparate thought. Um, so a sound might be, um, I've made a particular sound on the, on the saw or I've um, found an old handbag that I can motorise that makes a particular sound or something like that. And then it just suddenly, in my head, the two just completely go together. All the music I make, I can sort of imagine the sort of space that it's in and the sort of feeling that it's evoking and sort of sometimes a little fragmented story that it's evoking. And it just probably because I've I've got this very odd background that I'm very into electroacoustic music and I'm sort of classically trained. Well, I'm actually an early music person by training. I come from the English folk tradition as well. It was about getting up in folk clubs in front of... I mean, those are my first sort of regular performances in front of an adult audience. Getting up in a folk club as what they used to call a floor singer and having to put a number across. You just learn how to put a story across and how important the difference between the people that held the room. It was always the narrative that that personally got me. That's interesting, as you mentioned, folk music there. How do you class uh, your music? Are they songs? Are they compositions? Are they something else? I don't know what they are. I think they're little character pieces, actually, because I think each one's got a character. So, you know, there's one that's all about an English folk song, The Bows, which is about a murder, a sororicide. One sister murders another on the Thames, and it all comes apparent when the dead body is taken out of the Thames, of the bows of the, one of the bows of the Thames, one of the bends, and the body is turned into a violin and the violin speaks. And to me, immediately, it's like a sound world. So it's like a little character piece. That, that funny one I've done about the um, the cow. <laughs> it's actually about it's actually about a curse. It's in, this is from a London book from the 1930s about a butcher who cursed another by taking a desiccated cow's heart and making this votive, I suppose, or impregnating it with nails and pins, and you know probably saying some horrible words. 
So that immediately, that suggests a, a type of room and a type of person and a type of sound. And also it sort of harks back to a certain thing that I hear when I think about English folk music. And in that case, it was um, something really ancient. Something, I just found this Anglo-Saxon cursing rhyme and I thought, oh, that's what it is, because that's the sort of thing he would have said. Blood to blood and bone to bone Blood to blood and bone to bone Your CV is very diverse. Alongside everything we've talked about so far, you've done quite a lot of work in theatre. Creating soundscapes and, and helping to amplify the world on stage is something you do in your in your day-to-day. Yes, and that's actually been a later thing with me. And actually, weirdly enough, I ended up in theatre, mainly because I was performing one day, and the playwright, Lucy Preble, saw me perform and very kindly invited me to compose for, for one of her plays, The Effect. And then I've sort of worked with various... Well, I'm working with Richard Jones at the moment on... Um, a Eugene O'Neill play. So yeah, theatre feels sort of like a very good home for me. You've, you've come around now to uh, release your debut album, uh, Ealing Feeder. Why has it taken so long, I suppose, is a good question. Yeah, it has taken a long time. And I think it's for all these reasons I've been saying is that what I've made is just because I was anxious about the theatricality of performing with electronics and I've been adding all these things into my show, I've made this show that doesn't distill very easily onto a sort of disembodied sound file and so I've always found it really difficult reduce the music because I think of music as a sort of piece of total theatre to reduce that to an album so I've had a go yeah it's taken a long time and it's sort of a confidence thing but it's also a genuine feeling that my music's sort of three-dimensional you've got to be in the room with it the album's described as a love letter to London. Yeah, thinking about it, I mean, I can't think of many examples of, of that. I mean, always looking farther afield than our, where, where we come from. Yeah, I think, because um, I've got sort of, like many people, I've got a difficult relationship with London, but it is sort of love, and I, it does sometimes feel like love unrequited. I'm really interested in the exotic that's literally under our feet, you know, the idea that, I mean, I mentioned, I think, on my website, in my 20s I worked as a building acoustician, and that was a real moment for me because we had to down tools on a building near um, Bart's Hospital because we found a Saxon graveyard and it was just there all the time. We'd been walking over it all that time when there'd been all this planning going on. And, and there we were just sort of face to face with all these bodies. I love that about London. It's not a sort of, it's not a, nos- it's not a nostalgia thing. It's just a sense of the oldness and the fact that I just have always loved that sense of, you know, if you ever work on a building site, the sort of layers of, of the sort of London clay and all the things within it. Could you explain to me who you will have with you and oh, yes. maybe some of the instruments you will have with you as well? So I will, well, I'll be on the stage with my theremin and saw and keyboard and a few other instruments. Recorder, I use a lot of recorder in my stuff, I can't believe I forgot that. Then in terms of robots, I think all we'll have is um, the Ealing Feeder, which is this polyphonic carillon that I mentioned. And um, I've got, I think I've got a robotic chime thing that I'm bringing along with me, possibly a robotic, some robotic drums. Oh, because we might have Hugo there as well. 
we might have Hugo. I think we will have Hugo there thinking about it. So Hugo, if you haven't met him, and, I know, and it sounds really jokey, but it's, it's a rather different feel when you actually meet him. Hugo's a 1930s ventriloquist dummy who vocalises all the vocal samples, sort of gives them a sort of physical body to come out of. He's a sort of... I, I would feel a bit funny if I left him at home because although he doesn't get much credit on the album because obviously you can't see him, he does sort of feel like part of the band. So, But then we've got the percussionist, Stephen Hiscock. He's going to be doing some... Um, we'll have some handbells and he percusses them sort of medieval style so he makes these really beautiful riffs on them. People love looking at all this stuff and thinking, is that actually going to make it to the end of the number? And to me, that is part of the theatre of it, is the fact that, you know, there's a lot of jeopardy when somebody's up there with a laptop, but you don't feel it in quite the same way. I think I'm right in saying that you're also very encouraging of people if they come into the hall early and they just want to have a, obviously don't touch, but if they want to have a peek at what you've got on stage, again, sort of breaking down barriers in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, I'd say very much so, and particularly at the end. And if you're a theremin player... It's very hard to get out of the room without people wanting to have a play of the theremin afterwards. And we found a method of dealing with that, which is buying some headphones. People always think the theremin's easier than it looks. It's very odd. And interestingly, Stephen, the percussionist, has the same thing. Apparently, when he performs percussion, a similar thing happens. People want to go on stage. They don't do that with pianists and cellists, do they? And as well as yourself, uh, there's the London Sound Survey and uh, DJ Special K. Could you explain about the choices of including them on the bill? Uh, that's Ian, Ian Rawls from the London Sound Survey. His act is a sort of perfect one to put with mine. Ian is an avid collector of archival London sounds. And so these are things that very, very few people have heard before. So, you know, just an example that he often has played at things I've been to is um, a th- think it's from the 30s might be slightly later a chair seller in London who just used to go around and used to sort of have this call sort of song-like call that they used to make as they were going around the streets to say you know have you got any chair legs that need fixing and things like that it's it's something again there's something wonderful about it because it's eerie because it's disembodied sound yet it's familiar it's something about London but it feels you feel very distant from it I think it's very moving actually and then um Special K, that's Karina Townsend. She's a, she's a friend of mine who, again, is an avid collector. She collects um, exotica, sort of exotica records. We want you to sort of keep the London theme going. So Karina is going to be between, so you know, so so that we don't have silence between mm. uh, the acts. You know, going to keep the London atmosphere going. She's going to bring out some of her favourite London records, among other things. Excellent. Lastly, I wanted to ask whether you were a, a daydreamer. Yes, no, I am very much a daydreamer. I think there is something dreamlike about the stuff that I'm into and quite a fevered dream because, um, and it might sound an odd thing to say, but um, when I was in my early teens, I had a very, very serious illness that went on for a while and I had what they call pyrexia, which is very, very raised temperature for a long while. I had sort of a general sort of, I was in a very dreamy, fevered state for an extremely long period of time. And I know that some of the sounds that I am drawn to 
have the feel of that. And it's almost like unfinished business that I've never quite unpacked. Thanks to Sarah for speaking to us. Sarah Anglis launches her album Ealing Feeder together with special guest Stephen Hiscock, the London Sound Survey and DJ Special K on Thursday the 20th of April in King's Place's Hall 2. For more details, visit kingsplace.co.uk forward slash Sarah Anglis. In the next episode of Strong Women, Strong Voices, we will speak to writer and comedian Amy Annette about her new comedy talk show, What Women Want. I guess because I think it's funny that that is a phrase that people use casually as if there is one type of woman who wants one type of thing and therefore you could apply that to all people. I'm Ben Eshmade and you've been listening to a King's Place podcast. You can find and follow us on Twitter at King's Place and Facebook forward slash King's Place. Thanks for listening.